to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. All right, welcome back to the show. Now, today we are talking to Deborah Yates, the author of a book that I think you're all going to love. Um, this book is titled Woman of Many Names. Um, I have a link in the show notes page, so you can go check it out, get your copy from Amazon. And you know what? I'm just really ready to do this, so let's get right into it. Hello, Deborah. How are you doing today? I'm doing great this morning, Sean. How are you today? I am doing A-OK, probably better than I deserve. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> First question I've got for you, though. Um, what is, because, you know, if our listeners maybe don't aren't familiar with the book, what is the book about? And what made you decide to write it? My book is about my seventh great grandmother, who was the last Gageyu, which means beloved woman in Cherokee, of the Cherokee tribe uh, before removal. So this was uh, the setting would have been back in the, you know, the mid 1700s to the early 18, 1800s. Okay. And I decided um, to make a journal is how it started for my grand nieces and nephew to, you know, to record the stories that I'd heard from my grandfather who had heard them from her mother. And, you know, our oral tradition, you know, we did have the syllabary. However, you know, oral tradition was our main way of communication and of telling the stories of our forefathers. And um, Nancy Ward, you know, was a, highly regarded chieftainess in the tribe and she was of the wolf clan and her birth had been basically predicted not necessarily her birth but a a a child a girl child would be born of the wolf clan that would lead her tribe to greatness and from very early age nanyahi which is her one of her native american names you know showed that she had potential to you know, speak many languages and to communicate well with others. And she was just a a really special child. And when her grandmother went to bathe her on the day of her birth, a white wolf appeared above both of them. And um, that was one of the predictors of who that child would be, that there would be that a white wolf would would um, appear. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Now, you mentioned that this is a lot of oral tradition, um, but I think somewhere in there you mentioned that there was some documentary evidence in the papers of Thomas Jefferson. So it's it's kind of a little bit of a combination, but leaning more on oral, oral history. Am I correct? Yeah, my book was basically based on the oral history. Um, yes, she did know Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, Daniel Boone. Um, she had correspondence, we're sure of this, with George Washington. Uh, one of George Washington, a letter that she sent to George Washington was, you know, not that many years ago, you know, I think in the last 50 years, was found in a, in a desk that belonged to Thomas Jefferson when it was being restored. They wow. found a letter that was addressed to George Washington from Nanyi. And somehow or another, um, Thomas Jefferson ended up with that letter. And there's many um, tales, legends, whatever you want to call it, documented, actually, that there was a Native American woman that went to George um, 
to Thomas Jefferson's home. Some speculate that that was Nancy Ward. There is no proof of that one way or another. Um, you know, when you're dealing with things that happened back in the mid 1700s, you know, it's, you know, interesting and hard to actually validate a lot of things. Yeah. I've been asked to validate a few things that, of course, I can't because they're, you know, they really didn't care about us all that much. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we were considered less than by, you know, many folks. And, um, you know, I'm sure that the, some of the stories have been changed to to suit a need or a purpose. Sure. Just like any, you know, history from back then. Sure. I, I mean, she was a remarkable woman. And because um, you kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but that's probably Oops. my fault in the way that I know it's OK that I asked the question. Um, but she came across a lot of famous history, uh, famous people from history. And you mentioned a couple of them. Um, let's talk about Daniel Boone. Did she yes. meet, did she meet Daniel Boone or? Oh, yes. 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 Very much so. Um, when the uh, Daniel Boone worked for the Transylvania Company, mm -hmm. um, he uh, sold uh, or bought actually from Nancy, Kentucky. And at that time it was called Kentucky. Uh -huh. not Kentucky, but anyways, um, just like Tennessee was Tennessee. So, you know, white people really messed some of those words up pretty good. So, <laughs> you know, just, just saying, but um, oh, you should see he, me try to pronounce some of the Japanese words that I've had oh, in, no. in history. It's, Oh my gosh. Talk about butchering. No, <laughs> no way. Yeah. I barely speak English. You know, people say, Oh, have you learned Cherokee? I uh, know. <laughs> Ocio, wado. Donadorgo, honey. That's about it. That's the the extent of my um able to speak Cherokee. And I've tried. I listened to I cannot tell you how many hours of Cherokee uh, trying to get my brain to absorb it and it just won't absorb. So but yeah, you. she worked with uh, Daniel Boone in the in the purchase of Kentucky and um beca they became fast friends. He actually spoke of her in her memoirs, which I believe other than his wife and his and his children and daughter, I believe she's the only woman that he really spoke of other than her. Wow. And he said she was the most handsome woman he ever met. So um, the, her beauty was legendary as as well as her heart and her her bravery in the things that she did and the way she worked amongst the, the Cherokee, you know, her people. She was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian, which a lot of people dispute that fact. But I went to a genealogist and I said, based on my DNA, my, you know, genetic, uh, um, genetics was Nancy Ward, a hundred percent Cherokee. And the answer was absolutely 100% Cherokee nice. native American. <clears throat> so we come down out of the Iroquoian, you know, we're all, you know, basically, on the east of the Mississippi, come out of that Iroquois, Iroquoian line. Yeah, yeah. Now you also mentioned George Washington. Um, yes. Did she just have a correspondence with him, or was there was there a meeting between them? As far as we know, we cannot affirm that there was any meetings in an American history. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, but my family says yes. Uh, that that they did meet, that they did, you know, speak and converse with the help of um, Thomas Jefferson. 
And um, he was, you know, a little younger than both of them. But, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1775 you know, era, they they were all, you know, of adult age. Um, and, you know, but I can't prove that. Uh, it's yeah. just, just my family legend. Yeah. And um, um, but we do know that the letters, you know, were sent from her. He um you know gave her her land in perpetuity that she lived upon that was to be hers till the end of time which of course was seized by um the um the state of tennessee and um it was litigated again in the 1960s the family you know got together and tried to get those lands reinstated back to at least the tribe Mm-hmm. Now, what has happened since um, a couple years ago, um, the area of where she, Chota, which was her village, was given back to the Eastern Band Cherokee. So those lands, to some degree, have been reinstated, at least, at least to them. We are of a separate entity. I am descendant from what would be the Western Band okay. uh, Cherokee. Yes. And that's where, you know, her roots all went for the most part. Wow. Some uh, literally on the Trail of Tears. Uh, Most of my family, however, and I believe directly because of the um, predictions that she had made, she had the gift of sight and she had told her family that, um, you know, we would be run out of Tennessee. She said, I see my people walking a line with tears streaming down their face. So I believe that also we believe as a family that that's where the trail of tears came from that prediction. And that's how it kind of got called that by our people because we had, you know, foreknowledge that this was going to happen. So most of my family left the Tennessee and Georgia area as what is called old settlers and those people removed themselves pre trail of tears. One of her, her great granddaughter was married to a Lieutenant that, um, that made the trail of tears trip. And she did go with him out there on that journey. Now I'm sure her circumstances were different. I've been told they were different. You know, she didn't have to walk it. You know, she was able to ride it, um, you know, because that is one of the greatest tragedies, you know, of our people is that we lost our young, our young people and we lost our old people. So we kind of lost two generations in that journey. Um, It was foretold it was meant to happen. Um, So I can't, you know, I'm upset about it, but I'm not angry. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people are very still very angry about that. And it serves no cause at this juncture to be anger, mm-hmm. angered by it. You know, we have as as a people, as a human race, you know, we have to acknowledge our past. We have to acknowledge the past of our country. And, you know, so we hopefully don't repeat those things again. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's going to be a sad journey to repeating a lot of, of our past again, though, however, by what we see happening in today's cultures. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. But, Most definitely. Yeah. But yeah, she was a pretty amazing lady and she did a lot of things that, 
you know, are very noteworthy in history. She did make several of the history books with her cousin, Dragon Canoe, uh-huh. who was also a, a, a well-noted uh, warrior. He was a war chief that splintered off of the Cherokee and, um, um, like, created his own band, so to speak. Okay. And um, fought instead in for the chair they were called the chickamauga cherokee and they um inhabited the lower the lower towns in um tennessee and fought valiantly and a lot of people will say that nancy ward was a traitor to her people and my retort to those people are if my grandmother was a traitor dragging canoe and or oconestoa would have ended her life they would have killed her mm-hmm. and uh, it had to have been a pretty well thought out plan uh on the on the part of Atakula Kula the peace chief Okanastoa the war chief you know and dragging canoe as well as even Matoy who was um the grandfather the great grandfather of all these these people that I speak of um it just had to have been because they would have killed her There's no way they would have let her live had they considered her a traitor. So that's my answer to that, that question, because it it comes up quite a bit um, throughout um, the Eastern Cherokee, you know, tribes, you know, still some feel this way. And I'm sorry that they do feel this way. We all, they all had a a part to play in history. You know, if you believe in the creator and you believe in, god and all these things then we have to understand that it was all ordained it was all meant to be for this country to be created and to be to rise to the greatness that this country is and was it's still the best place in the world to live you know there is no place else i can think of that that i would rather live except for maybe hawaii and you know they became part of the united states too so you know, yep. that's a pretty amazing place. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So for now those of you maybe just tuning in, we are talking, just a reminder, to Deborah Yates, the author of a book titled Woman of Many Names about her seventh great-grandmother, Cherokee Indian. And um, I'm so glad to have you here. Now, something that caught my attention um, was, well, first of all, what I really like about the book is there's a complexity to it. It doesn't, it doesn't come across as... Um, a narrative that's very black and white. There's a lot of um, kind of gray areas and, and a lot of nuance to it. And it's a short book for those that are thinking of purchasing it. I mean, I read it in a couple hours. It's it's a very quick read. Yes. Um, now, one of the parts that you talk about early on, and this kind of clued me in to the fact that it was probably um, around the French and Indian War. And that was the time of her first husband, King Fisher. And there's a, a, this war going on. Um and they mentioned the French and the English. They mention, um, or your, I should say, your book mentions um, a war with, I believe it was the Creek. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about that war? Yeah, that was called the Battle of Taliwa. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened in a little near a little town called Ballground, Georgia, which is in uh, the northern part of the state. Um, probably about an hour, hour and fifteen minutes out of Atlanta. Okay. Um, they, the creek, you know, heavens to Betsy, you know, the complexity of the hierarchy and the structure of, of all tribes 
you know, was to protect their area, to protect their lands, to protect their food source was probably the most important thing about all of it. Because, you know, if, if your food source ran out, you were in real serious trouble. So we, we, you know, respect, tried to respect, I believe each other's boundaries and borders. And, you know, sometimes those would cross into each other. And that's really the basic gist of why the battle of you know we were fighting with the creek indians was basically over food now Mm -hmm. what the cherokee did was they would travel north into um kentucky to do their hunting in the summer so we wouldn't deplete our food source so that through the winter months when things were tough and you know the you know things weren't as plentiful you still could you know send somebody out and get some rabbits and you know some deer and things like this Mm -hmm. to feed the village not just a a person but to feed an entire village so food source was very serious thing back in the 1700s as you can well imagine so i believe that was the main gist of our our problems with each other okay yeah it's it's such a fascinating point of the book now right around that time um, early in the book too, you mentioned something that, that I, I picked up on and um, I'd like to talk, get you to talk a little bit about that. And that was um, trade relations between the different tribes and the development of a trade language. Um, oh yeah. You don't really get a lot of that often in the histories that's that I've seen. Um, True. You'll, you'll talk about the trade, but not really. I don't think I've ever heard about the trade language except maybe once and i can't remember where i heard about it so could you touch on that yes um the trade language was developed so that people from the far you know west coast including the east coast could communicate with each other with these people that were the traders amongst amongst each other because we find artifacts of you know many things that technically shouldn't be in that area so mm-hmm. the only way they got there was through that trade route. And it was a very well-defined route that um, certain people were, let's say, employed or honored to do. Uh-huh. And uh, they came from all different types of, of trade, you know, the seashells, um, yeah. the salt, you know, so many different things that, you know, weren't available to, you know, just everybody. So, yes, they had to develop a way to speak to each other. And that's where the trader language came into to play. There was high, low and middle language in the Cherokees. So we technically already had three languages. And then the fourth, of course, being the trade language, which not everybody understood nor sure. needed to understand. Yeah. That, but that, yes. That's so fascinating. <clears throat> yeah, it, uh, it is. And if, you know, it's like I was trying to tell some folks one day, I said, if y'all took the time to understand the culture, we were not dirty Native Americans. We were not dirty Indians. Indians were far from dirty. We bathed every day as part of our culture, as part of our way of life to, you know, to ward off disease and smell. Um, they would say of the white people, we could smell them coming. The white people weren't bathing like we did. Yeah, it didn't happen. That didn't happen. All you have to do is look at history and you will know that bathing was not a a very serious priority, especially, you know, in other countries like England and here as well. They could smell them coming. They truly Mm -hmm. could. Yep. That's uh, I mean, you you really had when you look at um, when you look at some of the the accounts, even from the Europeans, 
upon arrival and seeing places like um, what became Mexico City, obviously wasn't called Mexico City. It was done right. on or um, I'm probably butchering that because I don't speak Aztec, but um, me neither. And I have <laughs> heard Aztec as well. <laughs> but, uh, I, am you know, Tenoch, Tenochtitlan, uh, I mean, even what go. they saw in North America, um, there are plenty of, of firsthand source accounts that talk about um, how impressed they were with some of these, not not just the cities, but the cultures as well. Yes, we were at beautiful culture. There was nothing wrong with our culture at all. Uh, there was just something wrong with the way it was interpreted. Sure. I believe it was basically greed. And there was so much land here. It made no sense. It, it truly made no sense the way a lot of things came down. Sure. Um, there was enough land here, you know, to for many cultures to live, you know, in, in a lot of peace. Uh, you know, OK, so you have your differences in the way you do things, but your way doesn't necessarily mean you're right. It just means that's your way. Exactly. And unfortunately, the Native Americans and as well as the Native Americans that go all the way down through Mexico, the Incas, the Aztecs, you know, all the different um, Native cultures, as well as the Eskimos, you know, they were telling us we're wrong. Well, no, we weren't wrong. It's the, we got along for thousands of years just fine and um, without all the disease and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, we learned how to treat ourselves through through nature, through the plants, um, you know, from, you know, like I said, from the dandelion, from the flower all the way to the roots. We used it all. That was that was part of our belief. We believe the creator left us in charge of this beautiful land and it was ours to take care of. And, you know, people say, oh, well, you killed herds of buffalo. Yeah, well, they were sick. Okay. Do you understand they were sick? So yes, we had to, at times, eliminate a food source, a perfectly, you know, some people's eyes may be a good food source, but we knew that the, the herd was sick. So they ran them off a mountain. Okay. Well, that's called trimming the herd. You, you know, you have to call out the weakest of the species in order for the, the strong of the species to survive. And that's what happened with, I believe, even with uh, the Native American cultures or the Native cultures, however you want to look at that, and, um, you know, with alcoholism and so forth and, and drug abuse, how it's run so rampant through our our tribes. Um, it's calling out the weak. Yeah. We, we didn't have alcohol in our culture. We had peyote and different things like that that we um, used for for whatever medicinal, non-medicinal purposes. Um, however, alcohol was not part of that. And as we know now, alcohol is a very powerful drug. And um, it called out the weaker of our species. And it's still yeah. doing that today, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, there is there is a method to the madness. And unfortunately, we are on the short end of the stick of the fire water. Now let's let's just wrap this up with, um, and I, I thank you for joining us today. And I got to tell the listeners, um, I think you're going to really like this book. So go to the show notes, check out that link, and pick yourself a copy up. But let's wrap it up with, um, what is up next? I need to go back to the writing board. I <laughs> I have been so bad, but you know, I'm not a I'm not actually a writer by Nate by trade. Um, this book, as I said, started out as 
as just a memoir for the, for the kids. And it, the book was, I have to say it was an accident. It wrote itself. I, I felt that the pen actually, sometimes I felt disjointed from the pen and I am waiting for that inspiration to hit me again. I've started several more writings that I just, for one reason or another, haven't been able to get back to that frame of mind. And um, cause I, I believe it is a special frame of mind that I went to, you know, during the course of writing this book, it was, it was magic. It was, it was literally like magic for me. And I'm hoping that the Lord blesses me again so that I can, you know, sit down and focus again. And, you know, maybe I need to go back to Cherokee country, old Cherokee country and do that. Cause that's where most of the first book was actually written was on the banks of the Okohe river. And uh, you know what, a, it was, like I said, it was like a magical time for me. So maybe I need to rent that cabin again. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank, that's you. What I'm <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Deborah. Um, like I said, I think the folks are going to like this book and um, we look forward to hopefully another book sometime soon. That'd be, that's wonderful. And thank you uh, for having me today, Sean. It's, it's been great talking with you and your, your uh, guests and listeners and the book woman in many names is written about a really special woman that I think everybody should know about children, you know, need to know that once upon a time, there was a lady that cared enough about all people to save lives that, really didn't matter to her those white settlers weren't her problem but they became her problem and she found a way to save hundreds and hundreds of lives which means now thousands and thousands of descendants of those people that are alive today because of the actions that one beautiful Cherokee woman took back in the 1700s so bless you and thank you so much thank you and you have a good day you too all right, guys, that's it for today. Um, next episode in the lineup, we will get back to the narrative on World War II in the Pacific. So until then, you guys have a great day, and I'll see you next time. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com. 